morning. So thankful to be back with you today. Stephen said last week, as I grabbed the mic at the end of the service, he said that I should have just let everybody sit down if I was going to say that I wasn't going to preach a sermon and then preach a small sermon. So this week, you're you're seated and I can preach that sermon. So I'm happy about that. I'm hopeful that you came ready to listen, ready to hear, ready to apply God's word to your life. I will say I don't know what uh, most of you think, I don't guess I know what all of you think about my preaching, um, but, or my confidence in it, but I will tell you, uh, after taking some time off, I've had a lot of like thoughts in my head, like, can I, can I do this? That was, that went through my head. Can I, can I do this when I come back? And uh, so you know how it takes to get a ship going. Maybe sometimes it may take a little bit of time before it gets up to full speed. So maybe just give me till next week or something until we get up to full speed. But those, those ideas seriously went through my head. And, and I am thankful that um, I'm in a comfortable place. I'm in a place where um, it doesn't matter to a degree if I can As long as I preach the word, you guys, I believe that is your directive. I believe that's what you want. And so it doesn't matter completely if I can. Um, So I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful I don't think I'm going to get emotional because it's not an emotional thing, but sometimes emotions surprise you. But, you know, we went for 24 days across the northeastern part of this country and uh, I will say, if you haven't done that on some level, like been to the Northeast, you should. Uh, it's, the Northeast is more than Boston. It's more than New York City. Uh, it's more than these large cities. It's, it's beautiful. It's uh, a constant reminder of God's beautiful creation. Uh, but another constant reminder is that every, in every town and every city that we came through, there were plenty of churches with large steeples, with beautiful buildings, and they were community centers, or church buildings at least. They were community centers. They were um, shuttered. Uh, they, were, they had other symbols that their light had gone out a long time ago, like uh, the most prominent thing of the church building was the pride flag and the, the acceptance that the world offers. And... Um, it was it was disheartening. It's I'm hardened heartened in the way that I know that the Lord's church is growing, not just in Mississippi, not just in the South. I know that the Lord is growing His church, so that there are people in the Northeast that are um, that are trusting in the Lord, that are following after the Lord. Uh, it was disheartening in in the sense that uh, New England, Vermont, especially, uh, has lost. Uh, it's, it's light. I'm reminded of something I, I read about the, the early framers of the Constitution. I don't remember who exactly quoted this, but he was basically talking about the wording in the Constitution, the wording in, in documents, government documents. And he said, when I write these things, I know that I don't have to make a reference to all of the Bible verses Because I know that the people that read this in the states, in the colonies, the people that read this, they will understand 
these references. He said, it's not so in England. In England, if I write these references, these biblical references into these documents, they won't understand. It was inter- it's interesting that it took around, that was in the 1700s, right? It took around less than 200 years for England to lose that light. And it's interesting where we are right now, 1776 to 2000. It, hasn't, it hardly took 200 years for the Northeast to lose that light. And I will say the church in America, as we know it, is due for a great reformation, but many churches are, are in trouble because they've lost the light of biblical literacy. They've lost the light of an understanding of God that is so clear that you see it in creation, you see it in humans, you see it in the words that people say. It's used in our conversation, in our language. Um, So here's the part that causes me to be somewhat emotional. I am so thankful that even though it's in Mississippi, so stupid, that my children have a place like Vintage Church. That my wife, that I have a place like Vintage Church. Because I know that in a very dark world, I know that after coming back from what seems like darkness, I'm sure that there is light all throughout the Northeast, the light of Christ. But I'm so thankful that there is a place of safe haven. There's a place to learn. There's a place to grow. There is a place to find rest. And I hope that it, as it's done for me, as visiting that area has done for me, I hope this message right here does the same for you, that we, although we could go somewhere else in DeSoto County even, and find something like vintage, I hope that it doesn't cause you to take for granted what God has given us. Um, I feel, as far as spiritual things go, I feel most blessed for my salvation. But secondly, I feel most blessed for you, for this church, for this body the leaders of this church that comfortably, comfortably and without regard for their own personal feelings or personal comfort, comfortably lead and speak the truth of the gospel into your lives so frequently. I'm thankful for leaders who lead in the nursery and who lead in other organizations of our church who are teaching my children to love Jesus because there's going to come a day where my children stop listening to me. And at least for a little while. Hopefully just for a little while. And I know that when they go to someone else in this body. That it's going to be someone who loves Jesus. And leads them similarly. And maybe in some ways better even than I could. Um, I think that idea closes out our series super well. The idea that leads us to flourish relationally. The idea that causes us to be so focused 
on having that, this, what we have, preserved and even replicated. Preserved and replicated so that not only we who are here can have that and experience it, but others elsewhere, but also our children and our children's children can experience what we are experiencing right now. I think the core tenets of Vintage Church are so important because not only does it produce what I was describing a second ago, but it keeps it going. Truthfully, indefinitely, because what we've established was already established by God through Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are just trying to humbly continue that work. And so our first act of faith as a Christian is to know that if we submit to God, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us and he will raise us up to live for him as an individual. And if we come together under that same mentality, he will raise us up to live together in him as a community. So thankful for you because not only are you passing these things down to your children, but you are demonstrating what, it's, what it means to worship passionately, think biblically, live missionally, and flourish relationally on a regular basis. No, I'll use the word regular basis because none of us are, are perfect, are we? Today I want to pray before we... Uh, that was not the sermon, by the way. Uh, I know that some of you are disappointed. I will, try to keep it, uh, I will try to keep it within the realm of an hour and a half or so, so that uh, since it's hotter in here this morning. Um, but today I want to pray with you. And, and after we pray, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 12... And spiritual gifts and how they edify the church. Spiritual gifts and the edification of the church as it pertains to flourishing relationally. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, I am so thankful to be back here with my people. To be in a place of safety where we can worship. Where we can be ourselves to a degree where we can have our failings, where we can have our problems, where we can have our, our issues, our sins, our struggles, and, and yet we can still be loved, we can still be accepted, not for who we are, but who we are in Christ. Lord, thank you that uh, this church has demonstrated for me patience in allowing me to grow as a pastor. I've seen it demonstrated in others' patience in allowing people to come in and grow and, and not be expected to be perfect right away, but to be a part of something that allows them to grow and be nurtured as a family. Lord, help us to flourish relationally. As we grow in faith, Lord, help us to see that our gifts that you give us are not about uh, demonstrating something so that we can be prideful, we can be proud about it. 
They're not about demonstrating something so that we can show power or authority over someone. But they're about demonstrating gifts so that we can exhort, so that we can grab, so that we can pull others alongside of us so that we can grow together in the fear and the knowledge and the admonition of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to see our gifts as a sole purpose of glorifying you and edifying as lifting up the church. We love you. We praise you. We give you today. We know that you're going to work through your word. So we're already excited with what you're going to do in it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I love doing sermon series each year because I think that it's a good break, number one, but it's also a way that we can have a pointed focus on some uh, maybe issues within the church or maybe just some things that we all need to hear. And I think that this sermon series, uh, if I do say so myself, I didn't put it all together, but I think it uh, has hit the nail on the head. I think it's reminded us of our goals uh, at times. It has exhorted us to seek more as a church, to not just be comfortable where we are. We can always be more mission-minded. We can always be more minded, uh, more uh, mindful of uh, the way we act relationally. We can always be more biblically-minded. We can always know that uh, we can always improve on our worship as a part of our daily lives and our worship in a corporate setting. I love doing these sermon series, but there is a problem with them at the same time. Today, I'm going to bring you a passage from 1 Corinthians. And while I'm going to do a really good job, hopefully, of, of expressing what 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 says, uh, I'm going to fail in the same time to give you the full context of 1 Corinthians, which honestly has a, a, a deeper and richer idea of, of spiritual gifts and spiritual blessings and the edification in the church and the work in the church. So uh, there's like, it's a catch-22 of sorts. We get to sort of be pointed about these great things and we also miss out on a bunch. So understand, you're going to miss out on a bunch today uh, about spiritual gifts. But if the Lord tarries, if he chooses not to return right away and he gives me breath, uh, we'll get to 1 Corinthians at some point. So uh, you, you, that just means you need to hang around. That's like the ultimate cliffhanger. I'm not even going to tell you when. Um, but if the Lord gives us more seasons, we'll get to it in season 11 or 12 or 13 or something like that. So we do our best to do with what we have today, 1 Corinthians 12. And we'll talk today about the subject of flourishing relationally through spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. I think a brief history of the church in Corinth uh, is in order to assist us in understanding the context better. Paul established the church network in, in Corinth on his second missionary journey. We find that out in Acts. It was a second missionary journey. Paul established a church network at Corinth. He probably established a church, but by this time that 1 Corinthians is written, there is a network of churches in, in Corinth. And uh, Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months 
to build and establish this church, which sounds like a long time, but when you are working to establish a new work, 18 months is sort of minuscule. And what we find from the church, the churches at Corinth is some great things. Seriously, some great things. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 4 through 8, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. The church is in Christ. That is the greatest of all things. That in every way you were enriched in him <coughs> in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ the church at Corinth the churches at Corinth were enriched in speech and they were enriched in knowledge they knew about God to a point where it changed their conduct it changed the way they behaved but it also changed the way they spoke it changed the way they acted and the way they spoke, they had the ability to, to discern the truth of God, which may seem like a small feat, but it really wasn't when you consider what uh, the church at Corinth, the churches at Corinth were up against. Remember, they were a pagan, idolatrous, multi-God, polytheistic society uh, before Paul came around and showed them the way. So it's clear that the churches at Corinth have a good foundation and they are generally growing. But just a few verses later in chapter 1, Paul says that Chloe's people had reported a problem. There were actually several reports back to Paul of some problems within the churches at Corinth. In addition to the one that Chloe's people gave, um, a few others reported missteps within the Corinthian church. Now, this puts into perspective for us the frailty of some aspects of the church. While the church itself cannot be defeated, the church cannot be defeated, as Blake quoted earlier, verse from Matthew, it cannot be defeated. The church is, the church local, the church establishment is not infallible. It is not infallible. If a church that the Apostle Paul started can fail, can have failings a short time after he established it, certainly the church that Bryce Holbrook, Blake Bostick, and Stephen McNeil started can also. We must always cautiously guard ourselves against several things. And specifically what Paul is going to tell the church at Corinth that they must guard their, not just guard themselves, but flee from is the tendency to drag in those worldly things that they left behind. Now he mentions, and he mentions a ton throughout 1 Corinthians, and we'll go through them someday, Lord willing. I do want to point out a few of those things for context. The first issue that was discussed was division amongst the people and factions that had been formed. Some people say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. There were factions that were formed in the church. Paul's answer to that was, is Christ divided? Did any of those spiritual leaders die for you? What was his answer? When factions form, turn to Christ. But it got worse. 
there, there was sexual sin amongst the people in the churches at Corinth. Now, this would have been very common amongst the Corinthian people, but it, it shouldn't have been common amongst the church at Corinth. The, as a matter of fact, the, the city of Corinth became synonymous with prostitution. So if you were Corinthing or whatever they would have used at the time, you were practicing in prostitution. But these sins had become prevalent in their pre-Christian life. Now, it is very difficult, we all know this, to push away our pre-Christian life when we become a Christian. Some of us have been Christians for a long time and they have been still struggling with that. We all do to some degree. But uh, they were... There was, a, there was a person evidently in the church at Corinth who, was, who was, had a relationship, a physical relationship with his stepmother. And there were others who had been practicing with prostitution. And this is the church that Paul established. This is a Paul's baby. And quickly he's having to write back to them telling them, to flee from the things that he had pulled them out of through the grace of God and the Spirit of God. They were using, or excuse me, they were suing each other. Now, I don't think lawsuits are always wrong, but I think that lawsuits should be, as much as we can, we should do what we can to preempt lawsuits. They were messing up their marriages. They were becoming unfaithful. Chapters 8 through 10, they were abusing their Christian liberties, whether it was the Lord's Supper or their or drunkenness or whatever it was. They were abusing their Christian liberties. There was a feminist revolution in the church. The ladies would wear head coverings because it would distinguish them from the temple prostitutes. And since prostitution was such an issue, that was something that was important. Wearing a head covering in that culture was a sign of modesty, but women in the church at Corinth began to refuse to wear the head coverings. We also see, and this is kind of where we're going to park today, because I can't give you every single thing that was going on, that they were abusing their spiritual gifts. Much like we see today in many churches, the pagan worship of the time was erratic. It was spontaneous. It was nonsense in the sense that most people didn't see it and understand it. Or most people who saw it didn't exactly understand it or, or at least they had to fake like they did. And this erratic behavior had crept into the worship of this church at Corinth. So much so that they were abusing the spiritual gifts now we're not going to get into the gift of tongues. That's probably like a that's probably like a three week sermon, and we might all carry different views on that. But we know because Paul addresses it in First Corinthians fourteen. We know that if you are going to speak in tongues, if you are going to prophesy, that there is great order that must be done in that, and that's not what was happening. 
As a matter of fact, I just want to go ahead and tell you, if you are ever a part of a church where someone is roaring like a lion or laughing uncontrollably or doing the worm down the aisle or running through the aisles or whatever it may be, if you are ever in a church like that, you need to run. You need to run because God is not the author of confusion or chaos. As a matter of fact, God is the author of order. And in his most precious thing, his most precious organization that he has on earth, I can imagine that his desire is to see order and not chaos. As a matter of fact, those things I just mentioned, I believe that they are pagan, maybe, maybe demonic things that have crept into the church. Now, I'll, I'll tell you some things that we do wrong. I mean, I think that, you know, to sit, just to sit on your chair with, while sitting on your hands and not having any emotion and any movement and anything like that, I mean, I think that that's probably wrong also. It might be an overreaction to what these other people are doing. That's, that's just a little side sermon for you. But all of those movements and erratic things, they are focused on self. And what was happening is people, people like in today's culture, said, well, I'm not happy in my marriage. Let me go take care of myself. Let me go get my needs met. I'm going to consider me for the first time. They were not happy with the way the worship services were going, so they began to flop around like a, a fish on a shore or, or do whatever they might have done in the pagan churches. They were, they were not happy with the way they appeared in the church. They wanted more of a role in the church, so instead of taking a humble view and wearing a head covering, they <coughs> uncovered their head and they, they, so they could become more visible. I want to tell you, friends, the greatest sins of every human, the greatest downfall of every church is when you think that the role and the institution that God has established, the role for you in the institution that God has established is not good enough. When you think the marriage that he has given you is not good enough. When you think the talents and the abilities that he has given you is not good enough. As soon as you begin to think that the things that God has given you, the job, the children, whatever it may be. I mean, I don't think you think that, but I know that there are people who think that. The church, whatever it may be, as soon as you begin to think that those things are not good enough, that's when you begin to walk away from biblical ideology, biblical Christianity, from the proper use of spiritual gifts. And quickly, quickly, spiritual gifts become about me and not about their true purpose, and that is the edification of of God's people. The, the worship of the church of Corinth was centered around themselves. They had taken their pagan, out of control view of worship and they had carried it over to the church where worship and praise is to be orderly and controlled. So Paul goes into the use of spiritual gifts and orderly worship in 1 Corinthians. And that is where we get some of our text today. Thank you.
I had one. I just wasn't sure if anybody had used it in the past or if it was a new one. So, And evidently, your wife is really bothered by people bringing water up here. I'm just kidding. Didn't you bring this water up here? Thank you. 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As I think about the overview of spiritual gifts and how they relate to flourishing relationally, one thought kept coming to mind, and that is how ignorant we are, all of us are, of our own spiritual gifts. In general, we know what we like and what we don't like. Some of us know what we are good at doing, but most of us don't know how our personal talents and abilities relate and are interrelated to spiritual gifts. I mean this with all due respect. When we spoke on uh, in 1 Peter, most of us could not even identify our spiritual gifts. Now, that was a good time because I remember being in M uh, my two MCs, and I remember hearing testimony from others that other people were pointing out for people what they saw as their spiritual gift. That's a good thing because people, it means that we're effectively working. But the problem is, is that the only way to know how our personal talents and abilities are interrelated to our spiritual gifts, the only way to know what our spiritual gifts actually are is not by taking a survey or a test online. Do you know the only way to know what our spiritual gifts are is in acting the work of the Spirit in our lives, in the church. That's the only way that I effectively know. Now, God reveals those things, and, and, and he, he gives us like a, a piece to start with. But the only way those gifts are nourished, the only way those gifts are really produced to a point where they are recognizable from others and by ourselves is by enacting, by serving spiritually within the church. And so the interesting thing that you need to know here is, if I, in order to serve in the church, I don't need to find my spiritual gift. I need to find my service so that my spiritual gifts come to light as I serve. 
if you are waiting on the Lord to reveal your spiritual gift, it would be like the guy who doesn't practice for a sport and is waiting on his abilities to mature so that he can go be a professional in that. I, have the, I aspire to be an Olympian. I really think I would be good at pole vaulting. I'm going to go buy the pole, the mats, the bar thing that you have to jump over, and then I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait for the Lord to produce in me pole vaulting ability. No one does that except in the church. The way you know if you're a pole vaulter is to get the pole and do it. And when you fall on your head, you might not be a pole vaulter. You might be. You know, you pick up, pick yourself back up, try a couple more times, but you might not be a pole vaulter. So then you find out you're, you're a distance runner, or you find out maybe you're a long jumper. But you find those things out by doing them. But instead, what we have in the church is often we have a lot of people who think they have a lot of ability because they have never failed at anything because they don't put the effort into trying. Do you understand that? That's in our culture too. Our culture believes that we, if you would ask the average person, they would believe that they could do anything. Do you know how that belief prevails? Doing nothing. Doing nothing. That belief prevails doing nothing. If you do nothing, then you never fail. If you never fail, then you never know that, hey, I can't do everything. But our gifts are are nurtured and they come out not by through osmosis or not exactly naturally some in some ways they do but mostly by service where in the church in the church now they they might come out at work in different ways and they might come out in our friendships and in our home in different ways they should but they are mostly seen in their spiritual nature by our service in the church. Serve the Lord. I hope that by the next time we have a sermon on spiritual gifts and maybe the next time we ask each other what our spiritual gift is, we are not as ignorant as we have been in the past. And I use the word ignorant, I mean it. Like, ignorance is... Willfully not knowing. Willfully not knowing. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It doesn't mean you're dumb at all. It means you've chosen to not find out. So let's choose to find out what our gifts are. Let's choose to... I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a little hint. What you're good at already... God can make a way to relate those things together, to, to connect those things together, so that they become spiritual gifts. What you're good at already. So let's find out a way to start nurturing those in our lives. And maybe, maybe what we see for the rest of this day will help you. If we want to learn more, we got to serve. Uh, TJ was, is not here today. Brittany is not feeling well. But um, TJ hosted, last week he hosted, and, and I'm not just mentioning this. I'm mentioning it because there's two things, 
you all host in different ways, and I'm very thankful for that. But last week he hosted our MC party, and this week he hosted a, a men's night. This past uh, Friday was a men's night, and we just, the men got together, we played cornhole, whatever. It was, it was great. It was fun. It was good fellowship. Um, did you know that hospitality is a spiritual gift? I wonder, if, I wonder if TJ, before he was a part of our church, who he is naturally hospitable. He was passed that down from his father and, and different people. He was naturally hospitable. I wonder if TJ, before he became a part of our church, saw what he did on Friday night for us as an act of serving the church through a spiritual gift. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I mean. Doing things that you're good at and sometimes not good at, but having the understanding that every gift that we have comes from God. Now, really quickly, Paul gives us, and, and, and I mean really quickly, Paul gives us some things in 1 Corinthians 12 that I want to point out to you, and we'll be done. First is this, in order to flourish relationally, we must use discernment as it pertains to our spiritual gifts. Look at verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. In verse 1 through 3, Paul appears to be addressing two different problems. First is that the Corinthians had been led astray. And second is that someone in the church was denying Jesus Christ. Someone in the church was saying, Jesus the man is accursed. We believe in the Christ. We want to follow the Christ, but Jesus, the man, he's dead and he's accursed. Paul approaches this later in Galatians 1. He says, if any of you comes with a different message other than the one we preach, that is Christ is God, let him be accursed. So Paul is saying, it is not Christ who is accursed. Christ did not die, you know, because he's accursed because he died on a cross. Christ did not die in vain. He died as God, as the way, the truth, and the life. But the other is that these people had been led astray. Paul says, when you were pagans, look at verse 2. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. What this literally means is when you were pagans, you were shackled and taken away like a slave. I want to tell you something that might hurt your sensibilities, your, sen your kindness sensibilities. Atheists and agnostics are not at a higher level of intelligence than Christians. They are actually dumb. And I know that that hurts your sensibilities to hear, but I want to explain to you why. Because a Christian knows he is a slave to himself if he's not a slave to God. An atheist, an agnostic, a non-believer thinks that they are free, but yet they are shackled, like Paul says, in their old way of living. An atheist or an agnostic thinks that they don't become a Christian because they're free to worship however they want to, but honestly, they are worshiping the God of self at a minimum. They think they're free because they live the life that they want to live. They're not bound by Christian principles. But honestly, they go on to, uh, to worship the God of alcohol. They go on to worship the God of sex. They go on to worship the God of money. 
They go on to worship the God of self. They either put themselves or something else on their platform. Everybody worships. But the Christian is the only one who is free and realizes he is a slave without Christ. The atheist, the agnostic, the non-Christians think they're free and don't realize that they are actually shackled, like Paul says, of these Corinthians in a former life. These Corinthians thought that they were enlightened. They thought that they were free. But Paul says, you are being taken back into captivity. Church, I want you to know, if you allow your old self to slip into you personally, to your life personally, to your own way personally, you are not only putting yourself in captivity, but you are chaining the church also. You know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And the church's ability to function in a way that honors God is hampered when the individual is shackled to his old life. This doesn't mean, of course, that you're not going to be, you're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. But what it does mean is that your general pursuit will be your own spiritual growth in Christ for the purpose of building up God's church and God's people. Paul says, think rationally as it pertains to spiritual gifts. Use discernment because if you don't, all of a sudden you'll be flopping around like a fish in the middle of the floor. You'll be roaring like a lion. You'll be laughing hysterically because you will pull in your pagan ways and you will syncretize it with the way. Now, someone corrected me one time and said, I think you meant synchronize. No, I mean syncretize. Syncretize is when you take one way of thinking and another way of thinking, and you try to mesh them together, um, even if they don't mesh together. What we look at, what we see, if we look at the church around DeSoto, the churches around DeSoto County, is we see this syncretized version of Christianity to where I would say it would be better to be spat on in New York than to walk into a church that has that mindset. It would be better to be consistent now so that when your non-Christian friends see you claiming Christ, there is something that distinguishes your life from theirs. Because I can promise, if there isn't, you are not, you are not much, your faith is not much more than a joke to them. They can accept you as a friend, they can hang out and in their own mind, at least from a spiritual perspective, have little to no respect for your faith. One of the best spiritual gifts is discernment. As we grow, we, in discernment, we're able to see false teachers, we're able to see truth, 
but also we're able to see where we allow the world to creep in to our worship and to our church and we push it out. We don't allow for it. We don't make space for it. To which I would say to you an easy rule for that, and you might not think it is as easy as I do, but I would say to you is if something is indiscernible to you as to whether or not it is holy or good, it would be better just to mark and avoid. It would be better to just abstain than it would be to participate on the off chance that it's okay. When you participate in things on the off chance that it's okay, you are choosing the least common denominator, meaning that you are choosing the very minimum expectation for you. Use discernment. And where you don't have discernment, choose things that you can place in the category of fact and true and right. In order to flourish relationally, this is the second thing, we must practice self-control as it pertains to our spiritual gifts. Now, there are a variety of, varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God empowers everyone. Now, before we start looking for tongues and prophecy and teaching or the like as spiritual gifts, maybe we should look at the most important, and that's just spiritual fruits. Before we start figuring out where God is going to place us in a spiritual gift, if he's going to make us a great preacher, if he's going to cause us to speak in tongues or to prophesy, maybe we should just look for spiritual fruits first. Because if spiritual fruits are absent, spiritual gifts will never come. I believe that the appearance of these spiritual gifts depends on discernment and spiritual growth, and all those are dependent on the fact that we have the Spirit of God in the first place. What you need to understand is if you've tried the Christian thing and it hasn't worked, it's because you tried it on your own power or maybe in the wrong way. If you as a Christian have been a Christian for a long time and your uh, overcoming of sin has not worked or you struggle with the same sin, it's because you are lacking the power of the Spirit of God or you are trying the wrong things. Try something different. In order to flourish relationally, we must practice self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, but we must also see the other fruits of the Spirit first. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. It is these fruits that demonstrate in us that the Spirit of God lives in us. We don't get spiritual gifts unless the Spirit of God lives in us. So we practice self-control. We go looking for the fruits of the Spirit before we do the spiritual gifts. And when the fruits of the Spirit fail, you can best bet that the spiritual gifts will lag behind also. You understand um, why 
I guess some reasons why we need to practice self-control. They're not up here. If they're important to you, you'll write them down. In order to flourish relationally, we must practice self-control. Why? We practice self-control because all gifts are given by God. My ability to preach is not better than your ability to serve or your ability to be hospitable or your ability to discern or someone's ability to speak in tongues or prophesy or whatever it may be. My ability to do those things is not greater, just as their ability is not any greater, because all gifts are given by God. There is a hierarchy of gifts. Some gifts are to be more desirable because they edify the church, but no gift is greater because they all come from God. And as a matter of fact, I can never have a greater portion of a gift than someone who is seeking the Lord in the same way that I am. The Lord rewards bountifully and in the same manner. If it was possible to put me and Blake Bostic side by side and we had the exact same variables in our lives and we pursued the Lord in the exact same way, what you would see is an indistinguishable growth curve. Because the Lord does not discern between people. He just gives abundantly to those who follow him, to those who seek him. All gifts are given by God. We see that in 1 first, first Corinthians 12, 4, and 5. All gifts are given by the same God. It's the same spirit that empowers. This is another reason why we know that these gifts are going to be distributed equally and Fairly is not the right word, but in an equitable way to everyone who seeks after him. And all gifts edify the church. Verse 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If our gifts are not edifying the church, they are not being fulfilled in the way that God has ordained those gifts. I want to give you this last thing and we'll close. In order to flourish relationally, we must use our God-given spiritual gifts. Once we see fruit of the Spirit, once our love changes, once our joy is in Christ, once we have peace, I mean not complete peace, but we're starting to experience these spiritual gifts, we start our spiritual uh, fruits, we pursue our spiritual gifts, and then we use them. Everyone has a gift, as we have seen. Everyone's gift is given to them by God as he wills. And we know that we are supposed to use these gifts that we are empowered with to empower other people, to strengthen and empower the church. Paul says these gifts are not just a dormant part of your Christian nature. This is why I have a problem with spiritual gift surveys. And a, a Satanist could take a spiritual gift survey and get answers. Right? A Satanist can take a spiritual gift survey and be like, oh, I am uh, a loving and, and I'm a leader and I'm a teacher. Because spiritual gift surveys are often based on personality traits more than anything. But another problem I have is that you can take spiritual gift surveys and you can say, oh, I am this. And it never have been true in your life. And so you just think that you are because some survey said it. 
Spiritual gifts are not some dormant uh, magic box that we have in our life that God gives us that are, that are to be unused. They're to be used to, be build, to build up the church. We are empowered with them. Empowered means there's energy in them. They are working. They are moving. You will always feel ill-equipped. You will always feel ill-prepared. You will always feel like something is missing until you trust in the Lord and just use the gifts that God has given you to edify the people that he's given you around you. I want to give you some bonus material really quickly. Every spiritual gift is empowered by God and he lives in us. Every gift is empowered by God and he lives in us, so they work. Every spiritual gift is empowered by God and therefore we shouldn't look at gifts to boast or lift ourselves up. We shouldn't look at gifts to boast or lift ourselves up. Every spiritual gift becomes a visible demonstration of the work of Jesus in our lives. It's very important to understand that we practice our spiritual gifts, and when we do, we are living like Jesus. Our spiritual gifts come from the Father as a demonstration, uh, uh, and they're empowered by the Spirit as a demonstration of the way that Jesus lived his life. So when we do our spiritual thing, we are actually living our lives like Jesus. And every spiritual gift has the ability to fight off the attacks of the enemy on the church. Friends, I want to start how I finished. I am so thankful for this pocket of people of God that we have created through the power of the Spirit of God. And I think by being obedient to God, I am so thankful that my children have a place to worship freely, to worship passionately, to think biblically, live missionally, and flourish relationally. I'm so thankful that there are other voices that when my children stop listening to my voice, hopefully temporarily, that they have great voices to listen to. But I am also deeply concerned that it can so quickly be taken from us. There is never a time for comfort as it pertains to our spiritual growth. And some of us, myself included, think that coasting is an option as it pertains to your spiritual life. And it's just not. It's just not. If you want what we have, if you don't have children, and you want what we have to be around for your children, you better get to work. If you don't have grandchildren and you want what we have to be around for your grandchildren, you better get to work. If you never aspire for children or grandchildren, if you don't think that's a part of the cards for you, it's in the books for you, excuse me, you better get to work if you want it to be around just for you. Every spiritual gift has the ability to fight off the attacks of the enemy, and every spiritual gift can sort of be covered or put out in a way that they are not effective anymore from our perspective. If we want to preserve what we have, we must seek out our spiritual gifts. We must find them, and we must use them regularly and effectively so that we may flourish relationally together until the day that we die And that our grandchildren are proud of what we put together and it lasts.
that the light of Vintage Church may see every generation until Jesus returns. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We are so grateful that you love us in a way that you have called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. We are so thankful that you love us in a way that we are redeemed, we are set free, and we are gifted to not only encourage us and our family, but the local body of Christ. Bless our church. Keep our church. Help us to fight for her. Help us to fight for her so that we may last every generation until you return. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.